0: Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we
1: go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Who that and welcome back to another episode of the Frenchman Connection podcast, part of the Belly Up Sports Network. And we are extremely excited tonight for tonight's episode. We have a very special guest. Uh, Those of you who are listening to this podcast and who follow us on Twitter, yeah, absolutely familiar with Mike D'Antilia at WWL. We are uh, we appreciate you coming on tonight, Mike, to talk some Saints football. My pleasure, guys. Great to be with y'all. All right. So what we're gonna do tonight, guys, is we're gonna talk some Saints, talk some offseason, season, uh, get into the draft, and um, talk about Mike's uh, draft guide coming out. You know, here in a couple months. But uh, let's start it off. I'll kick it over to you, Will. Um, we can get going, ask some questions with Mike.
2: All right, Mike. Um, this is uh, pretty much right down your alley. Um, it's something that I'm uh, super anxious to know. Um, really, um, the the you know, watching the Saints play, you know, year in and year out. Um, defensively, we run a lot of uh, two linebackers um, on the defensive side. You know, they run a lot of uh, nickel. And I was just wondering, um, I guess, kind of, you know, in your just in your opinion, uh, how do you see, you know, with the potential loss and and I know it's only speculate, speculation, you know, re-signing certain players, but, you know, p- potential loss with with Quan and Ushtraft and Zach Bond, does, does he look like a good fit for, for linebacker or maybe, you know, a replacement in the event we were to lose Hendrickson? And um, kind of I wanted you to run with it from the linebacker side. Who do you think, since you're getting your draft guide set up, will be a great fit for our defense um,
3: as a linebacker coming out this year? Well, it's one of the hardest positions to grade today. I'll be honest with you because you know, uh, man, linebackers. At one time, you were looking for that big thumper, that guy who's six foot three, two forty, and played the run well. Well, every once in a while, being get after the quarterback, unless you're out on the edge now. If you can't cover, you can't play. You run out of downs. So, That's it. You, uh, know. you know, you, you know, and I, I said this in the start of the season that there were a lot of people that, you know, they kind of banded about, man, Zach Bond immediate. You no, know, you got to understand what Zach played at Wisconsin. He was a pass rush guy. Yeah. You know, he, he every once in a while dropped back in coverage, but he was the guy that really played as a edge rusher. And so with no training camp, uh, so to speak, no OTAs, a limited time in training camp. Come on. You wasn't expecting that he was going to come in here and make that big impact. Mm. I do think they like him a lot. He's a very smart player. Uh, he's a really good athlete, but he was in the learning process in year one. Mm-hmm. And so that they like him a lot. I still believe this football team would like to get Quan back. And, um, if they can work on a deal to possibly do that, I think that's the best option this offseason for yeah. them at linebacker. What you bring up is just a change in times. It's not only in pro football. It's also in college football where you're going to two linebacker sets a lot of times because you're in nickel. Uh, for colleges, it's like 81%. The pros are 75 Dime in colleges is 75 and 70 in the pros. So, hell, you're the six defensive back, you three-quarters of a starter.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, and Nick and I, was like base nowadays.
3: Yeah, it's almost like base. And so, um, you know, Nick Bolton, certainly from Missouri, an interesting player. Uh, he's a guy that's much more effective, closer to the line of scrimmage than – he is maybe out wide. Uh, so he would be somebody that I think will be there in that range uh, of late in first round and very productive football player for the Tigers. Uh, and uh, Nick's interesting. I mean, you know, he's, he's kind of old school, man. He gets yeah. up the field fast. Here's my deal is if you can get you a pick, um, I think a guy that would be a great fit for the Saints would be Jabril Cox from LSU. If you get him a little bit later, uh, because, you know, he's not going to be a first round pick and he's more likely to be a late second, early third. But if you can maneuver around there and I, he'd be a good fit because of his cover skills. And that is something today. If you can't cover, then you are not playing but bottom line. I mean, right. you run out of downs. So Absolutely. linebacker for me, it would be. A priority position, but it would have to be the right guy. I'm much more concerned defensively on the secondary because you've got some age there with Janoris Jenkins and with P-Rob. And what else you got behind him? So, yeah, Lattimore, I think, is a really good football player. And I think they'll try to resign him to to a long-term deal. But, man, I would take a long look if it's free agency and a draft. You don't need one. You need two. So, you, you need to get out there. And That would be, once you solve the quarterback issue, mm. that would be the number one priority for me, would be in the secondary because of what you just brought up. Five defensive backs is almost becoming base. Six defensive backs, you three-quarters of a starter. Man, you – at corner, you don't need two or three guys. You need four guys. Mm-hmm. And so it's becoming an interesting spot. And for this football team with some age, with Jenkins, with P-Rob, you got to address that, and I think both ways, either through, I think, with a veteran and also certainly uh, with an early-round draft choice. And that, and, that always – and... Go ahead, Wait, well, Go ahead. No,
2: I'm well, I was just going
1: to just... ask. I was just going to ask about the secondary. Do, do we think – You know, given given, you know, the need back there with the age, do we think that PJ Williams stays with the Saints? Because I know a lot of fans, you know, they kind of sour on PJ um, and I know the Saints have moved him back and forth from outside to inside to safety. Does PJ actually stick around? I think there's
3: a pretty good chance of that. Uh, I know the defensive coaches really like him, but, you know, his secondary coaches in Detroit. Exactly. So, so that might be the lure that you can maybe get a little bit more playing time. He's really ha, has played pretty well as that nickel safety. Yes. I, I think that that's the spot for him. And yep. he and he's found it uh, in that secondary. So the thing about it is, can you resign him and can you hold off a team like the Lions who with Aaron Glenn, you know, you you're not always looking for starters because you can't afford to pay everybody, but you're looking for role players, and PJ is yes. a good role player yep. in that nickel position at, but more at safety. He can't mm-hmm. play corner if needed, but mm-hmm. more at the safety position, and you got a guy who's a hybrid at linebacker in Chauncey Garner Johnson. To oh, yeah. be honest with you, he he's really playing that new hybrid linebacker safety position that everybody was is looking for today. And PJ filled into the role as the guy, as the deeper safety in the nickel position. So um, man, you just don't have enough cover guys today. It's just like pass rushers. Okay. Cause you want to rotate seven most of the time. And if you can eight, because it is, become a league of wear you down because what you've seen in a little bit of football chess, it's interesting that this was a couple years ago uh, at the Louisiana line camp. We held every year here at nickel state, Thibodeau uh, Brian Flores comes in and you know, got a lot of testosterone out there when you got about 50 or 60 coaches, they, <laughs> man, they, they reinvented the, the wheel uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with them. And, and, man, they're talking about different coverage sets and everything else. And Brian sort of stood up and said, wait a minute, guys. I- I'm going to block you off. You guys have been reading too many of, of these guys, breakdown film guys, bloggers, everything else. Mm-hmm. If we don't stop the run, we in trouble in this league. Big trouble. Because you know why? Every time we put a smaller defensive back out on that field, they – that offense is going to see that and say, okay, you're taking out that 230-pound linebacker, you're putting in a 200-pound safety. If if I pull out another linebacker and I put in a 190-pound corner, they're going to run the football at us. we lose mm-hmm. losing 80 pounds basically every time we make this change. Mm-hmm. So what are they going to do? They're going to bang away at us. And these 190-pound cornerbacks, they're doing a lot of ole moves. Trying to get out <laughs> of these runners today. Hey, they ain't putting that nose in there to make that tackle. And, and you know, he said that a couple years back. And, you know, a lot of people laugh about it because, you know, it has a lot of this breakdown stuff. And a lot of it is interesting. But it goes back to the point of if you can run the football and stop the run, you're going to win a ton of games. And I, mean, look, I, I do run think in the playoffs. And, and look what happened come playoff time. And look the vulnerability of mm-hmm. the Chiefs uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. They, they oh. could not run the ball, and they could not stop the run. And it caught them. You know, they couldn't block up front. And, you know, so you see a little bit of a sea change in the NFL, which has repercussions also in college football. Like everybody last year, okay, when we play Alabama, we're just going to, you match up outside when they're going to go to four receivers. Okay, you do that. You know what? I got a two hundred and thirty pound Najee Harris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just bang away at you, yep. Man, and yep. and you saw defensive backs and linebackers. They weren't crazy about meeting Najee in the hole. I mean,
1: <laughs> making business he's decisions. He's going to
3: run past you. Or he's going to run over you. There is that great balance that is yep. so much still part of the NFL. And I, I'm telling you guys, it's it's what you got to think maybe a little bit ahead of time
1: mm-hmm.
3: is that if I pick a defensive back, that guy has to tackle.
1: Yep. He, he oh, can yeah. Be a,
3: he can be a cover guy. But if he can't tackle, then he's a real liability because of what's happening uh, when we spread the field out.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Then he's got to be able to tackle that back uh, at one-on-one or he's, he's got to match up with a tight end. He's got to be able to bring that guy down in the open field. It's a really interesting position and how the league is starting to gradually change. The analytics kind of breakdown isn't quite there yet, but I think over the next two years, you will see it more and more and more that this is becoming a league where, man, I'm picking a corner and I'm hoping he can, you know, match up, but boy, he got to tackle. Right. He's got to, because he's got to be able to help out and run support. So that's why your evaluation of a defensive back, I want him to be able to cover. And and that's first and foremost, but secondly, he has to be able to tackle because if he can't, then I got to move on to the next
0: guy.
1: Yeah. And that's one thing that you see in PJ and Chauncey and, and even Lattimore, I mean, th- those guys will tackle. And like you said, I mean, nowadays you're, you're taking off the bigger linebacker and putting on a smaller defensive back. like Just like you say, you got to be able to tackle. And at least with those dudes, uh, you know, they show the willingness to come up and tackle.
3: Yeah, and I think that that is going to be how even somebody like myself, I've got to change a little bit evaluation. If I know a guy is not a good open field tackler, then I got to drop him. Now, some team might fall in love with his cover skills. But my thing is, it's always it's going to come back to that. Now This was years ago. Uh, we had Vic Fangio on uh, with Bobby and I on WWL. Mm-hmm. And he said, number one thing I ask my scouts when they bring up uh, cornerbacks and safeties, he said, I don't ask them how well they can uh, cover. I ask them how well they can tackle. Vic is right. So what Fangio was saying, what – Brian Flores is saying it is part of the world today that you, you got to get those guys that can really do a good job because you're going to be in a lot of one-on-one situations and late in the game, when you have to and need to teams are going to run the football.
2: Yep. I, I think you really hit, hit on something, you know, in, in your, in your secondary talk. That's one of the things that I've noticed with the, uh, with the saints over the years, you know, you made that comment about, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson kind of uh, playing that, that hybrid, uh, you know, that hybrid safety linebacker role, Um, you know, and a lot of people may not even necessarily view him as that, but if you, if you stop and think, you know, where you're, where you said, you know, one of your concerned areas is the secondary, you know, that's been a, that's been a fortunate position that the saints have really kind of uh, hit over the last few years. And, and I get it, you know, like we're talking, you know, I'm splitting hairs here, but I, I think of like how Vaccaro uh, all those years, you know, came up and played a lot of box safety, and then you had the same thing with, uh, you know, a little bit with Vaughn Bell. Um, now that uh, Malcolm's getting a little bit older, you know, uh, you see a you see a little bit out of that, and 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 same with uh, with Chauncey Garner Johnson, but um, an actual cover uh, coverage, you know, uh, cornerback, which you'd think that would go, you know, everything's going to go hand in hand, it, but it, in this day and age, you know, it almost seems like you got a guy that can cover, but he can't tackle it. it it's almost seems like it, it, you know, it's, it's hard to find the do it all. Almost like with on an offensive side where we try to find wide receivers that can catch and block, you know what I mean? Yeah.
3: yeah. Well now, Receivers now really do a much better job than say yes to year on how to block. I, I, I give mm-hmm. them credit now. Uh, they're taught um, to even if it's a kind of getting away block. You know, I mean, I, I don't need for you mm-hmm. to pancake the guy. Just getting away. Yeah. And it's so funny, uh, Pete Jenkins, man. Pete's almost 80 years old and mm-hmm. longtime defensive line coach, and he's saying, "My God, hate to be playing linebacker today." Uh, I was like, well, coach, I get it. He said, yeah, because he said with all these RPO systems that they have. And he said, the NFL uses some bits and pieces of the RPO that if I get up the field too quickly, you know what that quarterback does? He pulls that ball out of the belly of a running back and he throws it right over the top of you. Yep. If I drop back deep in coverage, you know what he does? He hands the ball off to the running back or that that's 40 yards downfield. So, man, playing linebacker today is so difficult because you're sort of in a damn if you do, damn if you don't situation. Mm. And that's why influencing the quarterback is, is, is so vital, even if it's with a big push and not maybe necessarily the sack. But, boy, when them guys get downfield, their ability to make you miss. And we, uh, we have – I, again, a ton of these camps that we've had other than last year down here on the Bayou. And, and how are you, things were changing. Uh, this was about five years ago. Uh, man, they tweet, tweet, tweet that whistle. Okay, hmm. uh, uh, offensive linemen, y'all go over here. That was a pretty good run of those. Uh, interior defensive linemen, y'all go over here. Okay, then that's quite a few there. Wide receivers and tight ends, y'all go over here. Man, I almost got run over. It was like 300 of them guys. <laughs> and they were like, okay, pass rushers and the cover guys, y'all go over here. Man, I could have walked through them, okay, because it's not the glamour position any, anymore, okay, to be a pass rusher. It, it's not. They want to play wide receiver or they want to play tight end. I, you mm-hmm. know, you go up to these six foot four, six foot five young men who are 16, 17 years old, they 210, 215. You know, you play on defense, son? Oh, no, sir. I, I'm a wide receiver. <laughs> uh, no, I play flex side, and I'm like, what? He said, no, I ne- I ne- I've never played defense. I'm oh like, okay, uh, so it's. I wrote a column five years ago saying, man, you can see the numbers, and you can see it gradually starting to come down. Last year, how many first round pick defensive linemen were there? Two. Caleb Vaughn, Chase Young. Uh, bang! Now this yeah. year they'll have a few more. Then mm-hmm. what well, they got, got to have more than they had last year yeah. but um again you're starting to see a shortage of numbers and seven on seven sort of changed the rules where you're getting a better grade of receiver tight end quarterback and also cover corner than you've ever gotten before because mm-hmm. you can man listen in the south we can play seven on seven ten months out ten the months. year yeah and so you're ingrained in it. But what they, what they don't do in seven on seven? Hit. They don't tackle.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no hitting.
3: Okay. So, you know, so there is – that's an area where uh, defensive backs and what we talked about is showing up. It's in the numbers game, and you love a big corner that's long-armed and it's got great recovery speed. But that's how we're going to be able to tackle. So, like, yeah. because you see these receivers like a Mike Evans or Michael Thomas or Julio Jones. Okay, none of those guys when their second numbers were one. Okay, it's two twenty something or two mm-hmm. thirty something. Right. Chase Claypool last year, you know, when he came out, and I loved. It. I thought he was. A, I thought he had a chance to be a really good player. And I thought he played well as a rookie. You know, he's two three. You know, he's in the two thirties. Okay, so 195 pound corner, and he's tackling a guy that's 25 to 30 pounds heavier than him. You got no chance if he's going full speed. You can not you, you know, so you limited there, and then the little quick guys, you get one shot at them, and you better be able to tackle them because, man. Their quickness and their ability to make you miss remarkable today. They, they open field speed and quickness is, is really good. And I well, thought it, last year was the best year. I, I know in my 35 years doing this, I ever saw as far as depth at wide receiver, but mm-hmm. this year is pretty doggone close. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. right there. I mean, if it's not, it's just a hair off and it's not going to get lower. It's just going to continue To increase, you see a team like LSU sign five wide receivers in one recruiting class.
0: Sheesh! I tell you, you you know,
3: so okay, who's going to cover those guys? And if I put that guy in the slot, if I spread you three wide receivers and a flex tight end, you got to cover, man. Man, playing and coaching defense today, you get paid a lot of money for being a defensive coordinator, but man, you (laughs) earn every nickel of it, Jack. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. You heard every nickel <laughs> of it trying to figure out yeah. how to slow people down. And a lot of it has to do with – and I think Tampa showed it a little bit uh, even on Super Bowl Sunday. They're great red zone defense. You know, you got down to the 30, you know, inside mm-hmm. the 30. They, you know, they didn't give up hardly squat. You know, they, they, you kicking field goals. You're not giving up big plays. And that is a big part of today's game. That's saying, okay, I'll give you up to three, but I'll score seven, and let's add that up for a while and see how well it, it works out. It
1: it uh-huh. bit us against the Bucks too. We were kicking it field goals early,
3: early, early, and I told that to Bob because he texted me, "Man, I feel good about this game at six to nothing." I said, "What? I don't feel good at all." Man, yeah, you, this should have been a ten to at least ten to nothing game, at least, and now you six nothing against a team in a heartbeat. That can come back and catch you. I didn't. I didn't feel good about that. So again, mm. it, it is part of what's happened, and hitting you with that tsunami sort of approach, where okay, I can score fast, and then I can say to that defensive line, "All right, guys, sick them. You know, you play the runner. It's a Greg Williams line. Play the run along the way, guys. Get out there, the quarterback."
0: Well, and getting to the inside guys, getting to the guys in the middle. Uh, offensive line speaking. I want to hear your thoughts on what you think the vision is um, for McCoy for Eric McCoy the center and Cesar Ruez right guard. I know Ruez was a true was a, a center, a true center coming in. He got off to a, a slow start in camp. So they just stuck him at right guard. Do you think that they're gonna flip positions or do you think McCoy settled in so good at center that they're they would rather just keep it as is because Ruez didn't seem comfortable. He got a little bit better as the year went on. What what are your thoughts there, Mike?
3: Yeah, I've always felt that Ruiz is a much better center than a guard. He did play guard one year at Michigan. But he's, he's, he's a much more comfortable player at the center position. But you didn't have him for the rookie camp. You didn't have him for the OTAs. So, I mean, you had to do that this year. But I think they flip it next year. One, uh, I think uh, Ruiz is much better at the center position than he is at guard. And secondly, is McCoy's athleticism to get to the second level to throw a block is better move. than Ruiz is. So yeah. <laughs> I think that's going to happen. And, you know, you got what you got with Pete, who I think at times can be a very good player, and then he misses a ton of time uh, with injuries. And, you know, his play has been a little bit inconsistent, not a little bit, has been inconsistent. So Mm -hmm. uh, the key there is what do you do as a backup? Because you know Pete's going to have some downtime somewhere. And my thing is uh, James Hurst becomes a big signee in the offseason. Oh, yeah. Because he can play both tackle and guard. And uh, and my big concern was Nick Easton because – you get one concussion in a year, yeah. you get it. But he had it's three. A, yeah. So that. you wonder, is he going to walk? You know, he's a really smart guy. He's made money in this league. Uh, man, three concussions in a season yeah. is, is to me, sort of a red flag moment uh, because that, that that's entering sort of the danger zone. I know in, in talking to guys that have played in this league, who I do shows with, and they'll tell you, you know, I had one a year, and every once in a while they'll say, you know, I had two, but I was fortunate I didn't get, you know, another one the second year, and you know, and that sort of thing. But, man, three in one year stuff. So I, a big signee this offseason, in my opinion, is going to be – is Hurst mm-hmm. because of the fact that he's he's started at both tackle and guard. And we have seen Andrew's Pete and also Tehran yep. miss time. And so he's a good fill-in player. Would it shock me to see this team pick another lineman in round one? Hell no. It would be right there with me. you. I one love it. bit <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. Because of the fact that man, you love what you gotta tackle because healthy, oh, yeah. that's as good a tackle tandem as they have with, with Armstead and, and Ramchak, but <laughs> you don't have a lot of depth. It's hard to keep those guys. Hurst becomes a major, what you want to call, role player that I want back this offseason. For as much as we want to talk about maybe the skill-type guys at running back and receiver and everything else, man, you went up front, and I I think that Hurst is a guy that you want to return, and then I look in the draft to see if I can't pick me up a guy that can play both right and left tackle
0: Mm -hmm. what do
3: you what do you think in the draft
2: what do you think on uh if you can tell everybody listening on on that's not as familiar um with him you know being able to uh play multiple positions i know you know a few years ago we ended up losing um kelamete um he ended up going it was pretty much a fan favorite he kind of was a do it all across the line um where does he rank up with him? Is he essentially an, an upgrade over Calamete from, you know, playing multiple positions on the line or, or, you know, an equal? How do you view it? You know, how do you view him there?
3: Yeah, because they're both very similar players. They both didn't play center. Now, mm-hmm. if you could get a guy that can play tackle guard center, man, well, <laughs> let me cut you that check.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh, man,
3: that's the guy I want. Um, and so uh, you always sort of looking for that guy that can play multiple positions. If you can't be a starter, can you be a swing player to play tackle and guard? Kelomente could do that. Uh, Hurst can do that. Nick could play both center and guard. He has started in this league at both center and guard. Mm-hmm. So that makes him a much more valuable player than the average fan might think because of the fact that if I have an injury, it's not if, it's when in the NFL. You're going to have them. That, yeah. That's just part of it. It's brutal, yeah. this game. Uh, you know. Because I had an old NFL player tell me, hey, Mike, you know, I'll say this about the NFL today. And uh, he said, man, I was on the sidelines watching the game. And he said, uh, you know, back when I was playing, he said, you know, this was back over 25 years ago, uh, there were good players, there were fast players, but not all of them were fast and big and could run mm-hmm. like these guys can today. And it's a much more brutal game. And now you're going to add another game to the schedule next year. It'll be mm-hmm. 17.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so now you're lengthening this season on and on. And it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And, I, you know, again, we saw it not to bring back Super Bowl Sunday up again, but, you know, the Chiefs were just a beat-up team.
1: Destroyed.
3: And man, Tampa ahead. walked in there like, hey,
0: hey
1: guys,
3: up. we're in pretty good shape here for late in the year. And you know, it's it's just part of it. So I think the most important things when you do in the offseason is to evaluate not only your starters, but the, the role players on your football team that you're gonna have to call upon. And you hope the young players can come in today and help you. And that does happen from time to time, but not all the time. Sometimes, especially last year and just just a crazy off season uh, with the COVID and not being able to, to do some of the things you normally would do. And and I can't tell you what's going to happen this spring and this summer. You know, I I really can't. I think it'll be better. It got to be better than it was last year, mm-hmm. but still yeah, are we going to be kind of full force with that? And we'll see. We ho- hopefully that'll happen. And, you know, the numbers will get better and, and, and we'll be much in, much better shape in May, and in June and July, and we were last year. I, 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 so, man, so, Mike, that's a
0: perfect—that's a perfect segue uh, into what—what what do you think is going to happen with with our starter at quarterback? But first, I want to ask you hypothetically: if if Drew Brees got the Brett Favre syndrome and said, "You know what? I do want to come back," <laughs> just hypothetically, I, I think you know it's a foregone conclusion. He's waiting for Super Bowl to be over, and he's going to retire probably next week or so. But in case he did want to come back, would the Saints, first of all, welcome him back? And if, you know, obviously that that's probably not going to be the case. Two, who do you see week one lining up to start for the quarterback for the Saints?
3: Okay. Uh, I know it's hypothetical, but it's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the bottom line is with Drew, uh, in, in, mm-hmm. and I've worked in other businesses, when somebody will come up to me and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about retiring okay, you' more than halfway there
1: no, you, you gotta are, work when, when work.
3: you're thinking about it, you more than halfway there now people talk about retirement. and I got 20 year olds on work we're talking about retirement but they <laughs> know that they're not there uh, <laughs> but when somebody that age comes to you and says listen coach i'm I'm seriously thinking about it and you know the, the word got out and he he admitted it I mean I saw I thought seriously about leaving it the game last year and I think he didn't want to end it ended the way it ended with the Vikings you know, in that game. I think he wanted yeah. to give this one yep. more shot. Mm-hmm. And I think Sean was open that, hey, listen, yeah, you're the best option for us to get into the playoffs and let's see what happens during playoff time. But then the man upstairs, when you start to maybe think about it, taps you on the shoulder and says, hey how many times do I have to close this case? <laughs> it's time for you to leave. That's and right. so what happens? You get 11 busted ribs, a punctured lung, a torn labrum, a Liz Frank injury. Uh, the controversy of the summer with the social uh, mm-hmm. Issues that, yeah. that he that he spoke about, then had to take it back, then had to apologize. Everything else, it's almost as though, man, how many? It's an old Fred Sanford line, but it's true. <laughs> how many times do I have to close this case? <laughs> it's time, and you know it as an athlete. You really know. Yeah. Now, sometimes you know your mind can play tricks with you and try to convince you, but you know that you can't do it as well anymore. And that last game. I think sort of told the tale that
0: this is it. He just looked uncomfortable, even with the lead. He just looked uncomfortable the entire game, him throwing passes away. You just never, him making throws, you just never
3: see. You never see him do it, okay? And so my thing is, hey man, listen, thank you, brother. I mean, you, you have put this franchise at another level. You and Sean came in in 06. There wasn't a lot of expectations. Uh, based off of this team's history, off of Drew coming back off that major shoulder injury. Nobody knew about Sean as how he would be as a head coach. And they transformed this football team. All I know is for, you know, they got another generation of people that don't understand. This team had never been to the NFC championship game. You went three times with Drew. You You won a Super Bowl. Okay, so... Um, You're gonna find out how good he is when he's not here, and how dedicated and immersed in this sport he was in. But there's a, there's a time for everybody to walk in every profession. There's a time for everybody to walk, and it's time for him to walk. To answer your second question, all indications seem to be that he is leaning toward and heavily that he wants Jameis Winston to be his guy.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, the the one thing with that is, for years, hasn't he told every national person that's come interview him? My guy's in the room. His name is Taysom Hill. Yep. The next okay. Steve Young. So so now I'm in an awkward spot because you know Jamus's people can say, wait a minute, why wouldn't we take a look at free agency when you have publicly told everyone that Taysom Hill's your guy? So, why wouldn't he be your guy this year?
1: So, yeah, you know, he came in and won some games for us too. I mean, he
3: did, but I think it's obvious, even in watching him in practice, he's an erratic passer. Yes, sir. Okay, he, he's going to hit a couple really nice throws and then he's going to miss easy shots. You see, and I think it's the same thing with Jameis, even though I think his career, and I got told this by a lady who's Dad owned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, Gay Culver House, and she was the president of the Bucs, uh, stayed in the NFL, passed away in the summer. But she was real close to the Buccaneers and and the Glazers, uh, was very good friends with Bruce Arians and and Bruce, like the uh, general manager there, and was like, Mike, I'm just telling you, you know who Jameis reminds me so much of? And that's Vinny Testaverde. And we had him here. Mm-hmm. And at times, Vinny looked great. And at other times, he was all over the board throwing the football. And Jameis has all the physical skills. He's a big man. He can see the field well. He can put a ball in a tight window like few people can. Mm-hmm. He can throw the deep ball very well. But the question marks has been consistency, game to game, and judgment. And throwing a football. And why is a guy like Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Peyton Manning were not God gifted with the super strong arm. Mm -hmm. So they did it a different way. Same thing with Phillip Rivers. They did it a little bit differently. It's all about touch. It's about accuracy. It's about anticipation. With Jameis, okay, I know I can put that football right there. And even though you taught, hey, just be careful with it. Man, when you're out on that field, it's different, you know? So it, it's, it's different because you go mm-hmm. back to what has always been your bread and butter. The big question mark with Winston will always be accuracy and consistency with that and mm-hmm. also judgment skills on trying to fit a ball in tight window spots because he's always been able to do that. And you can get away with it in high school. You right. can get away with it in college. But in the pros, these guys are really good. Really, really good. And Jameis is not what I would consider a movement guy in the pocket. He's basically a, he's a, he's a box quarterback. He can move a little bit left and right, but he's not a guy that you got to consider a runner by any stretch. He's more of kind of a shuffle left and then get back to the middle or shuffle a little bit right and then throw it off the launch pad. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, I think feels as though he's Dr. Phil with this, that yeah, I can kill. Sure, Yeah, you know, and listen, an ego and, thing for sure. And, and a lot of times coaches get suckered into that. Mm-hmm. I can, I know I can fix him. I, I know I've got an offense he can run with and all that may be true, but it always goes back to you trained a certain way. You know, you, you have a certain style of play and, um, so I think what you'll see with Jameis is games he looks unbelievable, right? And in other games he's got you say, "What in the world was that? Oh, yeah. why, why did he? Why did he throw the football?" So the consistency level will be up and down. Now the defense is good enough to win. You got a good running game around him. You got some good receivers, but he had good receivers with the Bucks. Oh, yeah, you can't did. tell me Mike Evans and, and Brody Miller and Chris Godwin and Cameron Brate Cameron and OG Brate, Howard yep. weren't good players. Mm-hmm. They they were good. So, um, but I think he's heavily leaning toward that. But here's the sell now. Now you've got to flip that. Okay. you got to be the recruiter and say, yeah, man, I, I did say it about T- uh, J- uh, Taysom Hill, but you know what, Jameis, man, I saw you. Man, I know you can get the job done for me. You know, so you can yeah. kind of flip it a little bit and say, hey, listen, since you came in, you know, man, I, I, you know, we thank a lot of you and that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting from this standpoint what a lot of people haven't brought up. Does Winston's agent say, okay, we know what we can get with the Saints. Let's try free agency and see what else somebody can offer.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it depends on if Jameis – how, uh, you know, how hungry he is to go get the next big check. Because my guess is somebody else, you know, might, might pay him more, but he's got a good situation in new Orleans and, and to go back to, uh, you know, having to flip it and resell uh, Jameis over Taysom. I mean, the saints kind of already knew what they had, not so much what they had, but they had a lot more tape on Jameis throwing the ball in these games than taste Taysom, and it was my theory that the reason why uh, Taysom took years. over, yeah, the reason why Taysom took over is because Sean didn't have enough game film on him to make a a proper, you know, evaluation of him running the offense in a game. Whereas you know Jameis, like you said, he's five five years worth. And
3: the other kinda, thing too is I do know this: Sean has always liked Jameis Winston since he came out of Florida State. There has been that. Uh, there is no denying that mm-hmm. that he really liked Jameis, and there's a lot to like about him. When man, on the man, when you walk up to him and say, "Man, that guy's a quarterback," that's one
0: a big dude. He's big, and, dude. And, he, and
3: he can sling it. Uh And you know, and he's a smart guy. He works hard at it. But going back to what Gay has told me, so did Vinny. And she yeah. said, Mike, here's the crazy thing. We cut Vinny loose, okay? He started for six other teams in the NFL. It wasn't <laughs> like he was a scrub. Right, he said, you know, right. He went on because everybody old, thought – Yeah, every, yeah he worked, I think he played until he was 45 years old. And um, she was like, everybody thought it, they would be Dr. Phil with him, that I can change him. But she said, you know, you sort of are who you are. Uh, you can cut some of that down, and okay, thirty-three interceptions or thirty interceptions. Even if you cut a third of that, and you get mm-hmm. to twenty. Man, Sean <laughs> don't like to see that two as the first number. No. I'm gonna tell you that right now because <laughs> yeah, he's not used to that. Yeah, that second that that first number being a two. The other thing about it is that um, you you've played against him so many times you sort of know what he can do real well and what he can't, right. You know? And, and so you got a book on Winston on, on the good things and the bad things. And, uh, it's, it's just going to be an interesting sort of dance with him. And this is nothing against what Sean said about Taysom, but he has said it to so many people Mm -hmm. now You got to go back and be the college recruiter and say, yeah, I said it, but I didn't have you. Now now I got you. You my guy. And then what do you do with Taysom that's saying, wait a minute, didn't you (laughs) promise me that I would get my shot? And what we did when I was the starting quarterback, man, it's a tricky sort of walk down the, the lane with them. And look what's happening. Look all the young quarterbacks in the AFC now today. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see it with, with Mahomes, with Jared Allen, uh, and uh, you Watson. see Lamar with Tua, with Herbert. You see all these young quarterbacks. And, and then Trevor Lawrence is headed to Jacksonville. Yep. So that's going to be another one. And in the NFC, you got (laughs) – it's the old Pops of Variety. (laughs) You got Brady, you got Matt Ryan, you got a 33-year-old Matt Stafford going to the Rams. Uh, So it's a different look at things and how the conferences have taken a little different look on how to get you to the big game Mm
2: because
3: I think there's only two quarterbacks in this league. Either you got a real great one or you looking for one. Yep. There, there's no in between. Yep. Either you got one or you looking for one. Because if you settle for the middle range variety, yeah, they might win you games. Yeah. And they might get you into the playoffs. You ain't going nowhere.
1: And, the and plug for the is first
0: much faster than it used to be. It, to. And now for the
1: first good. time since two thousand six, the Saints we're kind of there, you know. For so long, we we kind of were spoiled with knowing we had one of the. Well, I mean, it took a little bit with Breeze to know that we had absolutely one of the great ones. But we had one of the great ones for so long, and now, you know, we're turning to Jameis or or Taysom. Yeah. To you know didn't. And, and well. is this yeah. the bridge? Is the are these
3: guys the bridge to the next quarterback? Because. Well, that's what you I. Know, that's what. That's going to be the intrigue here. Do you pick one in the draft? Because four quarterbacks are going to go in the first top ten. Okay. That's what. That's what
2: I was going to ask you, Mike. You 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 jumped. That's you nailed it, man. That uh, you know, you think about. We have a uh, a veteran, you know, more or less coming in with Jameis, and you nailed it right there. There's going to be four quarterbacks, you know, already off the board, you know, and Sean's a stingy guy, you know, he. He'll have a young guy, but then he always makes a turn to that veteran. So it almost seems like you know, are we settling for the fifth or sixth best quarterback? And that and that's where I wanted you to go with that when you said that you know from your you know your draft analysis that you do every year. You where would you see you know the fifth or sixth best quarterback potentially being available? Because you know Lawrence Maybe is gone. Yeah, Wilson's going to be gone. Uh, you know the. Ohio State guy is going to be gone. So, it's just you start going Trey, through more Trey and Lance more. is gone. going right. North
3: Dakota State. So, yeah. w- what you just said, Wilson and Fields and Trey and Trevor, they gone in the top ten. Mm-hmm. The big question mark is where Mac will go, and I think he'll go anywhere yeah. from 17 to 24 in round one. Now, I've seen and heard some of the most ridiculous comments about Mack Jones, and I-, I just shake my head. Uh, because somebody sent me, man. This is my evaluation. He can't throw the deep ball. My thing is, have you watched Alabama play football this year? <laughs> he, he was one of the best deep ball passers in college football. Mm-hmm. This sounds like the same narrative people tried to throw at Joe Burrow. Yeah. That oh, and and listen, they had a guy on Fox. He beat the drum for months, and then all of a sudden, Joe hits the NFL. And I told y'all, Joe Burrow was great. Come on, man. You took the eraser to that real quick. (laughs) And and listen, I I like Collins, but boy, did he change his opinion quickly, very quickly uh, on that particular position with Joe Burrow. Uh, Mac is a guy that uh, can make all the throws. He's smart. He's accurate. He's got good anticipation skills. Um, His breakdown of where to go with the football is very good and he can throw the deep ball very well. Now, yes, was he graced with some terrific receivers? Absolutely. But that shouldn't be a knock on him. All I know is watch how he was hitting those receivers in stride, 40, 50 yards downfield. Mm -hmm. Come on. He's just not throwing the ball up in the sky like a pop fly and, and getting a catch out of that. So for the Saints to get, Mac, they would have to trade up in round one to get him. Okay. And, you know, my feeling on trash from Florida is, man, you know, and I personally like him. Uh, he came to a couple of our quarterback camps. Uh, he's a big kid, well-built, got a real strong arm. He can make the all the NFL throws. The big question mark with him is can he get out of the way? Okay. Because he is not fleet of foot at all. And uh, LSU in a crazy game late sort of exposed that a little bit. They got after him and he was flustered for a while. He, he didn't like people in his face. And then look what happened toward the end. He played really well against Alabama, but then it really it peeled apart uh, for him afterwards. So I, I do think that that's going to be the negative with him is that, He's smart. He's big. He's got a strong arm. But, man, to escape the rush. Now, Mac is similar to when I watch him. He's similar to Jamison that he's move a little bit left and step back up, move a little bit right, step back up, and make the throw. Now, he's not going to outrun a lot of people, and he's not certainly the athlete uh, to get out of the way as Trevor or Zach or Justin or Trey. But he's got a way of getting around heavy traffic and making the throw and we and so he's a different style quarterback with trash he's not shown me that he has shown me when he has pressure he's got difficulties and then he starts throwing the ball up in the air and that right. causes issues with him so i think he's going to last a little bit longer than i think a lot of people might think because you know you watch uh these quarterback coaches get a good look at him and the numbers are so impressive with him. And he had a great senior season, but man, uh, his inability to get away from heavy pressure, I think is going to be the negative. While Is why he's not going to be probably a top 50 pick in this draft.
0: So we got one last, one last for you, Uh, Mike, Uh, all things equal, money's equal. Who do you keep out of Marcus Williams and Trey Hendrickson? If you're the Saints brass. Okay. I'm putting on
3: that Saints hat. They keep Marcus Williams.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm right
3: there. I, I think there's no doubt
1: Ben's that down. coaching
3: staff really likes him. And, and man, Aaron, 23 Aaron Glenn, years old, too. And Aaron Glenn was, was a big fan of his, and so will Chris Richard, I think, be a big fan. But, you know, he's got Dennis Allen's A-OK Mm-hmm. it's just going to be to come up with a, the contract for Marcus. I think of all the sort of bigger free agents, if it's Trey, if it's Sheldon Rankins, that he's the one guy they really want to keep. Cause I think, you know, you got a little bit of depth uh, along the defensive line. Um, you know, Sean made a comment to, uh, to us on coach's show, talking about Carl Grandison mm-hmm. and, uh, my my question was a comparison. He said, well, you know, I was just a young coach, and, and I, I went out there. I was in Philly, and we just had him for one year. But even in that one year, he was unbelievable. And he said he was well past his prime. He said, you know what? He physically is a lot like Richard Dent. And I'm like, Richard <laughs> Dent? And he's like, man, listen, you, you sort of comparing his – athleticism to that's pretty strong so i think he likes the fact that he's got a guy in granderson that could be that type of designated pass rusher come in and mm-hmm. really help you out there and he's got much and he's gotten physically stronger the thing with carl was at wyoming he's probably 245 pounds at the most yeah, yeah. now he's in the 270s Oof, and yeah. similar to trey is that he got um much stronger in the lower body. And it's, it's a Daniel Hunter line. He told me that, uh, listen, at LSU, one of the reasons I didn't make as many plays is, and I figured it out, was that uh, I was close, but I, I didn't have the closing speed. Mm-hmm. And he said, I worked on upper body, arms, shoulders, pecs. I wanted to look like Mr. America. But he said, <laughs> then I found out in the NFL to make it big, it was all about my lower body power. To yeah. build that power up in the lower body and it helped my explosiveness. It helped my quickness, everything. And I think you're going to see that with Grandison. With Sheldon, he would, man, I'd love to have him back. It's just that somebody else is going to make him a huge offer. Yeah, right. He could rush yeah. the quarterback from the interior. Uh, you got David Onyemata, who's a good player. I'm interested cool. to see what they do with Malcolm Brown because, you know, he's a, he's a run stuffer, but also he's a guy that can kind of cave in that pocket mm-hmm. from the interior. Uh, and and then you got some young guys, if it's Sean Tuttle, yeah. uh, Roach, whatever. Uh, you you got some guys that can fill in, but um, you, I, I you... can't see them come up with a deal for Trey or for Sheldon. So I think it's going to be, uh, so certainly, Marcus.
0: Williams. Are, you, are Do you, you, think- you concerned at all that if we pay Lattimore big-time money, big-time guaranteed money, that he he remains driven, that he remains consistent? Because, you know, sometimes he, he's just out of the game. I know this year he had less of those games than, than he did previous years. Are you confident that he's going to play up to his standard, per se, if we pay big-time cornerback money, top five?
3: Well, either you pay him or somebody else will. <laughs> yep, so, yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: but but I know him and
3: I know I've had some years to know how to handle him and how, maybe how to motivate him. I think Lattimore likes it when he's challenged. Yes. And like a lot of corners, man, come on, they're not throwing the ball to me toward my side of the field. And so you sort of drift a little bit. You know, you, your mind sort of drifts and that's when you get beat. Now, the one thing with, with is Jenkins, you know, and, and he, he made this comment one time, man, listen, all my life I've been challenged. I ain't worried about nobody challenging me. That's the that's <laughs> all the time. So, you know, he's a guesser, and and yeah. that's that just part of his life yeah. to be a guesser as a football player. But he most of the time guesses right. And so um Him and Marcus be, Peters cut from the same claw. Yeah, well, Marcus. <laughs> And you look at Jalen Ramsey, Jalen's very similar. Jalen's deal is man, I just got a feel for where they're going to throw it. And sometimes I get beat and sometimes and most, but most of the time I don't, you know, so I, I think that I would want to see how Kai Harley, who I think is really the MVP behind the scenes here. Definitely. In in working with Mickey uh, to work these deals, to get a long-term deal with the Marshawn Lattimore and with Ryan Ramchak, because those are mm-hmm. core players on your team that yeah. you want to keep. And, and okay, they got people say, well, look, have a scenario where you deal off Lattimore. My thing is, okay, who's going to play corner for you? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's easy to say, well, let's do this and let's do that. My thing is, okay, what happens at corner? You deal him off. Where are you going to go with this?
2: not not only that like they don't come you know they don't grow on trees they're not cheap it's hard enough to to hit on one in the in the top 10 much less and let him go and turn around and say oh we'll just go get a free agent you know and then what you're paying another one 15 plus million a
3: season and the other thing too is where you pick because you know you can come up with a lot of scenarios to move around to get a player but for most teams what they want is Okay, if you're picking that late, then you gotta pay more. Because if I deal you a, a quarterback or a corner, 28 may be the earliest pick I get. You, you know, and so why would you wanna pick 28 when I could get a third, a fourth, a fifth? So yep. and, and I understand all these scenarios to try to get a Deshaun Watson, who I would love to have. And I would give my teeth to get him. (laughs) But if, if it's a scenario where a team picking in the top five offers a couple first round picks or the saints do, my thing is no, no, I don't want the top five pick. Give me pick 28. Come on. Just think about that. Would you do that deal? If you on the other side and the question, (laughs) the answer is no. Of course not. It's, it's a situation here where uh, you, you know you're gonna get a couple extra picks in round three and, and that and that's great because that's top one hundred picks we're talking about here. Right. Those it's have been Vincent those Darren, have been money rounds too. And that and that and because a lot of times too, um, no matter what teams say, they, they pick for need. You know, come on. They can be best player on the board, oh, but it's yeah, really right. a need pick. Mm -hmm. Uh, for them that's why they go there that you can have a guy sort of tumble to you Uh, and especially when you look at it if it's a hybrid player running back wide receiver because okay there's just a few tackles there's just a few pass rushers there's just a few cover corners Uh, to say, "Ah, I'm going to pass on that one in round one because I think I can get one in round three. Eh, You done squatted that out. That ain't working. (laughs) But but I can get me that running back and that receiver and that interior offensive lineman. And so what a lot of people don't realize with the Saints, how they do it with their board is, uh, and Jeff Arlen sort of explained this to us, is that the scouts come, they work with him, they set up a board that is north-south, ratings-wise. They give it to Sean and Mickey, and they rearrange the board. They take it, and they looking at needs, fit players, that sort of thing, and so they do east-west with it. And I, I give Jeff a lot of credit that he's been able to sort of reform that scouting department, but then once you get all that raw data and you give it to Mickey and Sean, what a lot of people don't realize is they rearrange the board. They take that board and say, okay, uh, we are really looking for that position in this position. But if it comes down to a tackle or a corner, that guy's rated higher than this one. So you, you do it a different way. And uh, it's interesting how the coach now is getting involved because you know sean isn't watching every player in college football no okay you know he he can he knows probably the top 90 players pretty well Mm -hmm. but you know if you're talking about picking in the seventh round he's got to rely on somebody else for
0: that to give him that info (laughs) or you you think the vegas trip it was probably less than 90 it was probably like 30 that he knew
3: (laughs) no the one thing with sean man listen uh Just from conversations with him, though, he I think he knows those top 90 pretty well. Uh, I'll I'll be honest (laughs) with you. And and he's got a certain feel of the type player, and sometimes it's luck because of even with Alvin, you know, he's going to Tennessee to work out Josh Dobbs at quarterback, and they're looking for somebody to catch the ball. Just so happens it was Alvin, Mm -hmm. and you know, Sean being Sean, being Sean, you know, he was like, Well, I I want you to run this route and that route. Okay. And he's doing that. And so Sean's trying to trick him and say, well, I want you to do a little bit more. I want you to do this and that. And, oh yeah, coach, I got it. And Sean was like, wait a minute, wait a minute now I got (laughs) something here. And you know, it's funny how many stories you hear from coaches, assistant coaches about how you fall into a player that, you know, the scouts might have a certain opinion, but then you work him out and you find out a little bit more and he, you know, you get a feel for him and sometimes it's vice versa. Sometimes you have somebody walk in um, in years past with this team. There was no doubt that the former owner of this team, John Mecham, uh he wanted certain players picked and he delegated <clears throat> that, deal to the head coach GM saying, Hey, listen, I know y'all got your Scott reports, but I want so-and-so. I-, I I want Russell Irkslaver. You know, he's a Texas guy. I like him. Uh, you know, I want him. And so pick him. Uh, now, Mr. Benson never did that. And certainly Miss Gale's not going to do that, but man, you hear about owners that it didn't Daniel Snyder do the exact same thing in Washington <laughs> and year? walk in there and say, man, I don't care what kind of board y'all got. I want this guy and I want that guy and I want this guy. And so, okay. Yeah, I've got people tell me, man, if that was my owner, I would tell him, I'm picking who I want. And I told him, yeah, you'd be unemployed the next day. (laughs) Well, that guy's a multi-zillionaire. He can find another guy like you real quickly. You out of here. And there's a lot of things that goes on behind the scenes. And it's not as much debate now because the draft is so late. Now, you know, in late April. It's maybe not as much debate as what it was years past. Uh, especially with the early picks, mm-hmm. the the debate is day three because I know there have been scouts on this team that have told me, you know, one of the things Sean tells them is, "Hey, listen, if you got something to say about a player, say it now. Don't tell the media about it after the draft. Tell me about it now. If if you feel strongly about a player, and if we pass on him, we pass on him, but." Don't say, I wanted him, and you didn't want him, okay?
0: Right.
3: And, and I think there's a really good working relationship uh, between the scouts and Mickey and Sean and Jeff Ireland, and I thought Terry did a great job in the pro department, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Mike Carrington, who's a young man from On the Bayou, uh, played at Edie White Catholic here in Thibodeau, went to Tulane, uh, played with the Jets, has been on the Saints uh, scouting department for a few years. I wouldn't be surprised if Mike gets the the kind of kick up. Mike's got a real good eye for talent. So, man, it's just a working relationship because sometimes I've known teams that the head coach who doesn't have every bit of information, he takes over the draft completely. Yeah. And and yet, come on, you can't tell me that Sean doesn't have influence. That, that He's got influence, you know, on who they pick. But he, his working relationship with the scouting department has really worked. And you're not going to hit every year. Right. But, man, that it 2017 draft and then 2019 and even in last year shows a lot of promise for this football team. And without a lot of money. Right. The they make up now becomes even more important when they make up that draft board. Mike, do they uh, do they put you on a
2: uh, Facetime and and <laughs> ask you how, how it looks? Because I know this past year in the draft when we took uh, Ruiz, I was going through it. You could ask uh, Charlie or Ryan both. I was beating the drum right there, looking at your draft guide for Zach Bond, and then the turn around where you had him, you know, in in, in your write up, and then turn around to snag him in round three. I was just sitting there thinking like, man, round three has been such a
3: money round for us these last few years. And Kropman's going to end up being a real good player, too. Now, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to see him play a lot. Uh, I, I missed day one in, in Mobile. But and he was nervous that day. And, and he admitted to me, really nervous. And I get it. Come on. Where you were playing before. Yeah. And now you got all those <laughs> eyes watching you. Man, come on, your, your nerves are going to get on you a little bit. But he settled down day two and three. He was really good. And you, you're absolutely right. Day three has been a really good day for the Saints. Uh, and I, I think, you know, you get information from so many different ways. I'm not in that room with the Saints. Um, you know, I, I was a big Lloyd Cushenberry fan. I thought he could start as a rookie. And guess what he did? He yeah. started you know, yeah. for Denver as a rookie center. I could tell. He and got better and as the year went on too. Yep. And so, um, you know, I get calls. It's strange because you know I'm trying to do the draft, and I'll get a text from a scouting friend of mine. Hey, listen, uh, I didn't scout the Southeast Conference, so tell me about so and so. You know, and, and you know, listen, <laughs> I want to be part of the discussion here. You know, because if you're a Pac-12 scout, you know you probably haven't seen that guy from the SEC a lot, right? And so exactly. you, you know, we. You know that, but no, I, I don't do any consulting with the Saints. They, <laughs> uh, they, they got some good people there that that know the game very, very well. But uh, it's so funny because when we're sitting there, and Bobby and Deuce will look down at that at that, my cell phone, is like, okay, you want to take a little break while you answer that? <laughs> you, know, you better answer that. I know who it's coming from. So yeah, it's, uh, it's funny, and and every and it's almost like if you're a gambler, okay. Hey. That you got a certain feel on where you want to put your money, but you want a confirmation from somebody, you know, and so, uh, you know, a lot of players, if they have Louisiana ties or went to LSU or terrain right. and uh, that sort of thing um, on you know, SEC players, uh, what's funny late in day two and into day three, I get, I get a lot of those texts about, Hey, listen, man, listen, I, I just got to the pack 12. Oh, I'm just a, a big East scout. Wait, what about so-and-so uh, from Auburn? Or what about this guy here who, who's a Louisiana guy that went play? So, okay. And so, you know, you, you do what you can do. But uh, it's, it is – it is. Bill Walsh said it best. It's nothing more than educated guess. Because probably 2% of the players that get picked every year, no matter where they end up, they would have the same results. The other right. 98 yeah. are all about fit. The right fit with your team, with your locker room, with your scheme. And that makes it the interesting part. I can see if he's talented and athletic or powerful, but how well he fits into what you're trying to do, because all those guys are like that. Every one of them, because that's just a certain cut of player that can play in the NFL. Uh, That's just... You know that's less than two thousand of those guys walking this earth, and it's it's a rare profession, uh, and you got to want to do it too. Uh, it's you, you just can't like football; you better love it. It's got to be your life.
0: Well, well that's been. I do want to uh, mention that uh, in in regards to the draft guide, it doesn't matter if you're just a casual fan or your diehard Saints fan, where you use every visit they make with somebody. You want to know? You want to know what the dialogue was? you need to get Mike D'Atelier's draft guide. You can go to saintsreport.com to get it. It's well worth, I think, $25, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. And it's it's the Bible of the draft. And, and I mean, you can find out anything from somebody's 40-yard. You can almost find out what the, what their GPA was in 10th grade compared to comparisons in, to the NFL. And, I mean, I, Shai Tuttle was a five-star recruit, you know, found that out through his draft guide. So you can get any tidbit of – free agents, uh, uh, undrafted free agents, any anything goes from that draft guide. So I highly recommend that to our listeners because I know we do have some from across the nation, and it's the draft Bible. Uh, my wife knows it's on my, my Saints bar for about a month before <laughs> and after. That. So it's a, it's a must-have. You can get it from, again, SaintsReport.com.
3: Uh, I appreciate that. It was so funny. God bless it, uh, O'Hockey. Um uh... First year he's working with us at WWL and uh, he's like, send me a book. I sent him the book. He's like, you know what? If I could write like you do, I'd still be scouting. <laughs> he said, <laughs> yeah. he said, you fill out that form. Like we supposed to do it as a scout. And he said, uh, man, I appreciate what you, how you do it. Cause he said, you know, uh, and when I was with the saints, we had a, a sheet that we would fill out and it w- it was, about, you know, his genetics. If he, he had a brother or a dad or yep. grandfather, mom was athletic, his high mm-hmm. school career, who recruited him, that sort of thing. And then a little bit about his stats and then certainly the breakdown on him. He said, that's exactly what, you know, you know, he started with Mr. Fink. He said, that's exactly what Jim wanted uh, when, when he was here. So he said, uh, you just do it a little better than I did. <laughs> he said, that's why I'm working with you now.
1: <laughs> well, guys like me uh, in Maryland, you know, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not based down there, so I don't, I don't have the, you know, I don't know. It's the it's, luxury of listening to Mike
0: quite a. Well, I can't the radio uh, on
1: on the internet, yeah. But days, like yeah. the the proximity value that y'all get down there with a lot of these players, you know, people like me, you know, we kind of we kind of depend on on that. And like Ryan said, and, he, and
3: it's and it's stretching out more and more. This yeah. It's really becoming a regional game now. Uh, and I know Ohio State, they are who they are, and certainly Clemson. And um, But, man, just look at these teams in the southeast. It's great. If it's Alabama, who's a cut above everybody else, and mm-hmm. Georgia, and Florida, and LSU, and A&M. Yep. And I, I'm just telling you, I think Sarkeesian is going to do a really good job at Texas, too. I yep. think they got the right guy, in Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. And, and they're yep. all pulling from the same kind of pool. It's all from one little spot. Yep. It's amazing the talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you look, and certainly Texas and Florida are big states, but from little states like uh, a Louisiana, a Mississippi, an Alabama, uh, where it, even in the South Carolina area, Mm-hmm. Where man, that's a lot of pro players coming out of there. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just amazing because we don't live in our, our grandpa and grandpa and grandma's world. N- that's a lot of commuter people today that move a lot, much much more, mm-hmm. say, than when I grew up as a kid. And and so and you see it, aboard boy, the Southeast Conference and the Southern region, and if you extend that out into Texas, Oklahoma, man. Give, I, I, give me that team and I'll take on anybody else. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> that's what that's what kills me with a lot of people when they uh when they come up with stuff on these players coming out, you know, getting into the collegiate level. You know, it's it we get so spoiled with our Southeastern Conference football. You know, you'll hear, oh, he's he's in a, a Big Twelve school. You know, he's not good enough to be there. Blah blah. blah. And it's like, do you not think these southeastern schools are not recruiting these same guys? You know, like the same thing with exactly. Clips and, Oh, they're in the ACC. Clemson's built with four- and five-star
3: players that every other SEC team is trying to get. Yeah, And so is Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Listen, Ohio State is all over the South, especially in the Florida area. And oh, yeah. They've reached down into Texas. They've tried in Louisiana. I haven't been real successful that way, but they've went into Tennessee. Uh, you know, they went into South Carolina. And, you know, all I know is they're starting quarterback. Uh, then they get in from University of Georgia. So, I mean, so, you know, they're all pulling uh, sort of from the same guys and slip it, uh, you know, and, and hearing and seeing it from other SEC coaches that, man, uh, we don't have a lot of, not as many big people as you'd want, especially linemen. So, you know what? LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Florida State, Texas, you know, they're recruiting kids from the Big Ten. They said, man, look, all those kids that came out of Wisconsin playing in the NFL. Man, I'm going to Wisconsin. I'm going to Ohio. I'm going to Michigan. I'm going to recruit those guys in Pennsylvania. So they all started pulling from the same stock of guys, but how many guys from here is amazing. I live in a a little small town right outside of New Orleans, and we've gotten, I think this year it's going to be seven Division one players from a little area where you could drop a dime on. Wow. Seven division. And for a lot of these young men, it's their way out. It's their their way to get a a college education, maybe play in the NFL. You make those connections in college and, and, you know, you move on with it. And so it it, it is um, a changing times uh, across the board where, I, you know, in the years past, uh, it's rare that you would see guys from you know other areas in Louisiana. Now, you know, that's the coaches from Michigan and Ohio State and Wisconsin and Kansas. You know, because of less at Kansas, and you know, even out in the Pac-12 at Arizona, Arizona State. You'd figured all they had to do was go a little bit, you know, uh, sort of. Uh, to the side of them and catch them guys in California, but mm-hmm. you know, they, they're out the Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas players and Oregon. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've seen a ton of Oregon coaches here recruiting Louisiana, Texas players. So yeah, it's a, it's a fruitful area uh, where you can get a ton of players and, and those guys are hungry and they, you know, they, they yeah. understand what it's all about.
1: Yep. yep. Well, Mike, I, uh, I can't, I can't thank you enough for the time tonight. Um, yeah, this was probably, well, this was my, my favorite episode we've ever done on this podcast. So much information from the Saints, the roster moves, what we're going to do at quarterback, who's going to get paid, the front office, so much college knowledge. Mike, I just want to say thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate your yeah, time obliged, tonight. Mike, much obliged. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys.
3: I appreciate it. Uh,
1: my pleasure. Y'all take care. Yes sir. yes, sir. You too. Thank you, Mike. Y'all can follow Mike at Mike Dettelier, uh on Twitter. And then... Like Ryan was saying, you can get his uh, draft report at Saintsreport.com. And Mike also has uh, his own website, in it, um MikeDatelier.com. Whew, what an episode, guys. I uh, had a lot of fun. Mike's gold. He, you know, hope the listeners really took advantage of that and really uh next to know. his name
0: it says football guy. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> that's a Mike's, football guy.
1: Mike's Mike's great, and uh we'll we'll catch you on the next episode uh here in a little bit who that
2: who that